not everybody likes to do what God wants them to do, you know, because sometimes God interrupts our schedule. He wants us to do things that maybe we don't want to do. Maybe he wants me to go somewhere and I don't want to go. You'd be surprised sometimes God puts little longings and tuggings in your heart about doing certain things, and he wants to lead and guide you. And so he does that sometimes by closing off doors and opening up other doors and just opportunities that you might think you were in charge. And yet God may be guiding you to put you where he wants you to be. And you just trust the Lord. But look at verse 9. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Now, a lot of times people wonder, well, is this talking about the rapture, or is this talking about the um, revelation, when Christ comes back again in power and great glory? You'll notice what he says here. He was taken up, a cloud received him out of their sight. And then he says in verse 10, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Now, we believe that when he went up on the, the mount here, he's coming back on the very same mount. So um, on the, the Mount of Olives, I've been there a number of times. I think Hank Linson been there about 15, 16 times, something like that. And so it's your, if you're looking east from the top of the Temple Mount, and you can see the Mount of Olives, and there's a lot of uh, open sepulchres and so forth. Well, they're not open, but there's sepulchres all over the, the side of the hill there. And he says... Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, so shall come again in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. It seems like, what are you standing here for? You've been given a command. You've been told what to do. Now you go do what you're supposed to do. Why stand ye gazing up into heaven? In other words, you can go on a mountaintop, and there's people that do this. And they get up on some top of the roof and they're just waiting for Jesus to come. Well, that's not what he told us to do. He gave us assignment. You do what you're supposed to do and let him come when he wants to come. But you try to spend all your time trying to figure that out and that absorbs you. And then you never did what God wanted you to do with your life. It's good to know Jesus is coming. I don't need to know when. If I knew he was coming back in two years, positively, I would not change what I'm doing right now. Because don't I believe that what I'm doing right now is what God wants me to do right now? Then that's what I keep doing. So this is important to keep in mind and to remember. But when he says um, the same Jesus that's taken up shall so come again in like manner, that means that he left from the Mount of Olives and he's coming back and his feet going to touch on the Mount of Olives. So I would believe that when he's talking about here, he's talking to the Jewish people, and he's not talking about the church. It's probably he's talking about when he comes back in power and great glory. That means at the end of the tribulation period. Now, take your Bible and turn over there to the book of Matthew, chapter 24. Matthew, chapter 24, real quick. Let's turn to your left, Matthew, chapter 24. Now, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's telling them about 
what's going to take place in the end of time. And they came to him and says, well, what is the sign of your coming? I mean, you're going to come back, okay? How will we know it's you? Jesus says, well, a lot of people are going to say they're the Messiah. He says, don't believe it. He says, when I come back, here's a sign. He didn't tell them the day and the hour, but he did tell them a sign. And he says, the sign of the Son of Man coming in heaven is going to be this. See there in verse 27. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And he says, this is what's going to happen. And wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. That's the battle of Armageddon. That's where all the fowls of the air come. So he's talking about at the end of the tribulation period, this coming. So then he says in verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days. So we're not talking about him coming at the beginning of the tribulation, but at the end of the tribulation of those days. Shall the sun be darkened? The moon shall not give her light. The stars shall fall from heaven. And the power of the heavens shall be shaken. Now all this is talking about during the tribulation period, the last half. And in verse 30, then, then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. So this is at the end of the tribulation period. Kind of lays it out for you so you can see that. And he says, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see, get that, they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So this is when he comes back to the earth. And this is according to Zechariah 14 and he says that his feet shall touch in that day upon the Mount of Olives and it will cleave in the mist and so on. So he will come back. They will see him coming as they saw him leave. And he's coming to the very same spot, I believe. But this is not the rapture. The rapture is for the church and we're not talking about the church yet. Now, take your Bible, look in chapter 25. In the book of Matthew chapter 25, you'll notice in verse 31, just to look at these two verses. And verse 31 says, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory. So when you see words like in His glory, a power, and every eye shall see Him, you know, that's talking at the end of the tribulation period. That's when Christ comes back before He sets up His kingdom. But see, the rapture has already taken place seven years before that. So if the Lord came back today for us, we won't see, we may hear a trumpet, and we will just vanish out of here and meet the Lord in the air, not in Mount Olives over in Israel. And we'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and we'll stand at the judgment seat of Christ, and then we'll go to the marriage supper of the Lamb, and then we'll come back with Christ with all of his armies, and he's coming back. There's the battle of Armageddon, and he sets up his kingdom upon the earth. So this has to deal with when he is revealed. That's why we call the book of Revelation the revealing when they see him coming in power and great glory. When the rapture takes place, it's in the moment, the twinkling of an eye. You disappear here, and you appear there. And so that's what we are looking for. We're looking for the blessed hope. Otherwise, we would be looking for the blessed tribulation. I don't think so. So anyway, so he says here in verse 31, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, 
and all the holy angels with him, then shall he set upon the throne of his glory. So that means that this is when he's going to set. See, he's, when he comes for you and I at the rapture, he's not going to establish his kingdom at that time. There's still seven years of tribulation that's going to take place. But when he comes to the earth in power and great glory and every eye will see him, then he will set up his throne upon the earth, the kingdom that he talks about. So he says here, then shall he set up his throne. In verse 32, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate one from another. The shepherd will separate as the sheep from the goats. The believers from all the nations who believed on the Lord go to heaven, and those that do not go to hell. And so these saved individuals of all these nations that have come through the tribulation period, if they believed on the Lord, they get to go into the kingdom. If they don't, they don't get to go into the kingdom. So now take your Bible and turn to the book of Acts in chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. There's an interesting portion of scripture here. I don't hear it taught very much, but I do want to run it by you. And you'll notice here in the book of Acts and chapter 3. So they had gotten busy doing the things they were supposed to do. And there had been warnings to the people that uh, you have crucified the Lord of glory. And he told them. So if you'll notice here, look in verse 13. Verse 13 of chapter 3 of book of Acts. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go. Pilate was going to let him go. Pilate wanted to. The Bible says that too. But ye denied the Holy One of the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. Now who was this murderer? Barabbas. You know more people know about Barabbas today. You'd be surprised how many people. They make a movie about Barabbas. Well anyway. But he says, you desired a murder to be granted to you. Now, are they letting them off the hook, or are they hitting them right between the eyes? They said, this is what God did, and this is what you did. You did this. And then he says here in verse 15, And killed the prince of life. The prince of life. That's of eternal life. The only source of eternal life is from the person who has eternal life. He is eternal life. Eternal life isn't a thing that you can put in a refrigerator and look at it every once in a while. Eternal life is the person. Jesus Christ is eternal life. That's who he is. That's why he said, he that hath the Son hath eternal life. Because when he said, I'll never leave you, never, that's why you can't lose eternal life. Why? Because it's the person. Jesus Christ is eternal life. This is the true God and eternal life. In 1 John chapter 5. But notice what he says here. He makes this statement. He says in verse 15, And killed the prince of life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Because when they were getting ready to go into the temple, the first part of that chapter, there was a man there, and he was asking for alms, and they says, and I love what Peter says, Silver and gold have I Oh, how could he be the Pope? 
I mean, if he was a pope, he would have had all that silver and gold. No. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Well, that was a pretty good deal. He could have gave him some money, but he couldn't have rose up and walk. I'd rather be able to get up and walk. You know, you and I, we need to be very thankful that we can get up and walk and move around. Sometimes we complain. You know, people who complain all the time blame. When you complain, you blame. Because you're... You don't accept what happens to you in life. You've got to blame something, and you stay on a bitter course, a bitter attitude, just always negative. And uh, it's, it's a shame because you don't have to be like that. That's a choice. It's a choice. But look what he says here. So he says here in verse 16, And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness, in the presence of you all. You saw, you know this man. And now look. And the Bible says he was jumping up and down. See up there in verse 8. And he leaping up stood and walked and so forth. Well, he says he was praising the Lord and walking and leaping. Wouldn't you? I mean, he got perfect legs now. He can jump all over the place. Probably could have run five miles without stopping. And notice what he says down here in uh, verse 18. But those things... Those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ, get this, should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. He told that in the Old Testament, all the prophets in the Old Testament told about Jesus Christ coming and having to suffer. Well, he did, but you wouldn't believe him. And because you didn't believe him, you fulfilled the very scriptures doing what you did. And that's why it's... Uh, it's a shame because they denied him and fulfilled the scriptures and everything that they were doing to Christ. Uh, just hold it right here just a minute. Let me just see something. Look back down there again now in verse 19. So in verse 19, he tells them, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Now that's a Confusing verse, it really is for most people, and commentaries, and people like the preacher here. But when he says, as he did in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 38, when he says, repent, change your mind, think differently, reconsider, because they thought that Jesus was just a man, and he was the wrong kind of a man, and he had blasphemed the law, and they thought they were doing God a favor by having him killed. And he says, now, Change your mind. See him as the one that God had prophesied that should come and should suffer, and he died and paid for your sins. And by you believing that, you can have eternal life. But remember, as an individual, that's one thing. As a nation, that's something else. So God requires, like the nation of Israel, if the nation of Israel... Well, the leaders and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the chief priests and the rulers, and all, if they, as a nation, would humble themselves and see that what they have done was wrong, and as a nation, then God could uh, restore maybe the kingdom to Israel at that time. But as an individual, individuals could still trust Christ as Savior, believe and have eternal life and go to heaven when they die. But as a nation, if you want the blessings of God then you have to do what will bring the blessings of God. So national repentance will bring national deliverance. 
And they were looking for a deliverer to take them from the Iron Hill of Rome. And Jesus came lowly and riding upon a donkey, and they were looking for the knight in shining armor. And they crucified him. They didn't recognize him. Ain't that something? God visited the earth, and they didn't recognize him. He told them how he was going to come, how they could recognize him. And when he showed up, they wouldn't believe it. And he did all those miracles that he did. You think that, man, that would have just drove people to the Bible to study what the prophet said. And look, you know, that's what it says. That's what it says. That's what it says. And there was a few people that did that. And they believed. One was Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. And then notice what he says here. When he talks about, and at the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. See, there is a time that God has set aside. It's called a, a kingdom age upon the earth. That he's going to set up his kingdom upon the earth. And this is what we call the time of refreshing. When God like hits a refresh button and puts it back the way it used to be. You ever have that on a computer? You can hit a refresh button or go back. You make a mistake and hit the little back arrow and it'll take it back to where it was before. He's going to refresh. And so the kingdom of Israel is going to be established, just like God says. See, there's a lot of Christians today that don't believe that Israel will ever be Israel again. Now it's America is Israel. America is not Israel. Israel is the Jewish people that are being Israel, and God's going to keep his promise just like he said. So he says up there in verse 20, And when that happens, when Israel as a nation, and that's why when Christ comes back in power and great glory, Israel as a nation will believe on the Lord. They will see the scars in his hands, and they will trust him as their Messiah. And they will receive him. See, the first time he comes, they reject him. The next time they see him, they accept him. And so he is going to establish and set up his kingdom upon the earth. So he says in verse 20, And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heavens must receive, get this, until the times of restitution of all things. Means the restoration of the land of Israel. When God's going to, a restoration is a restoring. God's going to restore this earth where a lamb and a lion can lay down together. And you don't have to worry about carnivalous beasts eating you up. God is going to change things. And it'll be like the Garden of Eden. Wouldn't you love to have been in the Garden of Eden? God says there's a time coming in the future when God's going to restore it. And the only way it can be done is Jesus is coming back from heaven. But the nation of Israel kept rejecting, even after the resurrection of Christ, even after the apostles preached unto them, and they still would not. So just get the idea. See there in chapter 4, when it says in verse 1, And as they spake unto the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees came unto them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Well, see, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in the power of God. They didn't believe in the spiritual and the supernatural. That's why they were sad, you see. So they didn't believe right. So they finally got Jesus dead and thought, man, we got rid of that guy. 
And all of a sudden, here's all these other guys that are doing the same thing Jesus did. So who gave you the power to do this? They said, Jesus. Whose name are you doing this? Jesus. Well, we killed him. Ta-da. He came back from the dead. He's alive. And isn't it amazing that these things are in the Bible? But it's such a wonderful story as you read it. Sometimes I'd sit down and I'd start reading. I'd say, I can't, I can't stop. I just got to read some more. When I first found the book of Acts, I, I didn't know all this was in the Bible, see. And I'd sit down and I'd start reading. Betty's dad tried to explain a few things to me. And I start, man, I, I couldn't put it. That's just like reading a novel. It's all these beautiful stories in the Bible. See, I wasn't raised in a church or in a Sunday school or have a Bible in our home. So I, it was all new to me. 18 years old, I trust Christ as my Savior. And man, I found me a treasure. And I love these stories, all these things that was going on. You try to figure out what in the world is this talking about. But now look what he says here. In verse 21, whom the heavens must receive until the times of the restitution of all things. When God has a time set, and he says it's not for you to know, he's going to come back and he's going to set up his kingdom upon the earth. So now, I don't believe these scriptures here are talking about the rapture of the church, but talking about when Christ is going to come back at the end of the tribulation period and set up his kingdom upon the earth, because they want to know, will thou restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? So we're not talking about the church, because it started on the day of Pentecost, and there's a different story there altogether, and God revealed things to the apostle Paul and so on. But now notice what it says here in verse 22. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. In other words, you go back here to the book of, you know, Deuteronomy and all, and it will tell you, uh, like chapter 18, I believe it is, and it'll be there about what was going to take place. And then he says in verse 23, And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Isn't it true that every person who does not believe on Christ is going to go to hell? And every person who believes on Christ, they get to go to heaven. And for the Jewish people, they will get to enjoy the kingdom upon the earth and which there will be no end because it will be a new heavens and a new earth. Then notice what he says in verse 24. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. If he's foretold of these days, well, the church isn't in the Old Testament, so therefore the prophets, when they wrote, did not write about the church age in which we're involved in, it told about Israel and what's going to happen with Israel in the coming of Christ to the earth to rule and reign. So we know what it's talking about, and it makes a lot more sense. But if you try to put the rapture in all these verses, I think you'll have problems because it, it doesn't fit. It just doesn't fit. So look at what he says here in verse 25. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers saying unto Abraham, and in thy seed. Now we know from the book of Galatians in chapter 3, thy seed is referenced towards Christ, because it came through the line. And he says, thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. That means everybody, all families, could be blessed because when Christ died, who all did he die for? Everybody. 
And if he died for everybody, then everybody can be blessed by having the free gift of eternal life. As Abraham was saved by faith alone, God says, all the heathen will be justified by faith alone. Just like Abraham was, everybody will be. So the Gentiles are going to be blessed because of the nation of Israel. God wanted to use the nation of Israel to be a light unto the world. Well, they didn't do too good. They had problems. So look what he says in verse 26. Unto you, first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you. Sent him to bless you. And that blessing is salvation. Because that can be shown in the book of Galatians in chapter 3. But I'll be mentioning that a little bit later during the church service this morning. And so he says, in turning every one of you from his iniquity. The only way God can turn you from your iniquity is to turn you from your old sinful nature. And the only way you can be turned from your old sinful nature is by him giving you a new birth, a new nature. You see, the scripture don't tell you how you explain everything like that. But by a combination of the scriptures which have to perfectly dovetail it makes sense. And some people get hung up and they get a little gristle and they can't swallow it. But when you go through this, when he says, look what he did. He died on that cross to pay for your sins. And he's telling them in verse 19, repent ye therefore. You still can't believe. The ones who crucified him, the one who said, no, we'd rather have Barabbas and chose a murderer over him. He's still telling them, change your mind. You can still change your mind. You can still believe. And the thing is, many of them did. Look at that in verse, chapter 4 and verse 3. And they laid hands on them, put them in holes until the next day, for it was now even time. Howbeit, many of them which heard the word did what? What did they do? They believed. And the number of the men was about... 5,000. That's a pretty good soul winning day, wouldn't you say? That was a pretty good, powerful message. So they did believe. They understood what he said and trust Christ as their Messiah. So that's what it's all about. Now, we've got just a couple of minutes here, but take it. No, we don't either. Well, just when we start having fun. One good chapter you can kind of tie in with this would be Revelation chapter 19. When the Lord comes back in power and great glory, that's when it happens. And it's a fulfillment of these prophecies in the Old Testament. And there you are. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you so much that Jesus Christ came, paid the price, and was buried, came back again from the dead, and ascended into heaven and is coming back. We look for him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.